Season's greetings. More like season's compliments because compliments are guaranteed after making the leap to skincare with Caldera Lab. And I'm talking about how you look today and 20 years from now. The results are incredible in little time. Min Skincare and Caldera Lab are the perfect pair for you to look and feel your best. Super easy to add to your morning and nightly routine. Clear skin, less wrinkles and signs of aging. Enough said. Calera Lab Skincare, join the 100,000 men who trust Calera Lab to show your best first impression this autumn. Get 20% off with the promo code SEVEREMMA over at CalderaLab.com. I've been using Calera Lab now for a good while, and you know me and Graham, we're staying up late. We're watching flights, and we need it at night, and we need it in the morning, and it really does help out. Caldera Lab creates high-performance men's skincare products, and the regimen is exactly what you need to start that all off. It leads to our product line. It's a twice-a-day routine to transform your skin. Caldera Lab knows the skincare world is heavily female-driven, and it's been the Wild West for men for a long time. That's why they're here, just to make everything simple. So the regimen includes three products, the clean slate, base layer, and the good. Very easy. Clean set starts your day. It's a face wash, leaves all skin types refreshed. The base layer is your daily moisturizer to hydrate your skin and jumpstart your day full of confidence. And in the good is your go to before you go to bed. It's a multifunctional serum at night that helps your skin look tighter and smoother, as well as helps reduce the visibility of wrinkles and fine lines. Every drop of the serum is packed by tr- packed with 3.4 million antioxidant units protecting your skin. And the Calera Lab Icon Serum as well, that's absolutely brilliant. It, it addresses the three most common skin concerns around the eye, fine lines, dark circles, and puffiness, which I know every MMA fan needs. Calera Lab is a leader in men's skincare, made only with the top-tier ingredients, Clinical trials uh, have found 94% of men's skin showed an overall younger appearance after using Calera Lab for a few weeks. Proven. One minute morning and night is all it takes to reduce your wrinkles, fine lines and sides of aging. So this is a deal just for our audience. Exclusive deal. You're not beating this offer. Use the promo code SEVEREMMA at CalderaLab.com. And get 20% off right now. That's 20% off with the promo code SEVEREMA at CalderaLab.com to make unforgettable first impressions with the best gift this holiday season. 20% off at CalderaLab.com with the code SEVEREMMA. If you would like to support the podcast and get some extra content while you're there, head on over to Patreon.com forward slash SEVEREMMA podcast and sign up. From the rewatch to the Q&A, we will have loads of content every week. So sign up, patreon.com forward slash severe MMA podcast. And now, here's the podcast. Graham McDonald is an idiot. Sean Sheehan of severemma.com. He even has the audacity to call himself the quote-unquote pod god. This is severe MMA. 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 The Severe MMA podcast is finally here. Welcome to the Severe MMA podcast. Here's your host, Sean Sheehan. 
Welcome, welcome everybody. It's another episode of the Severe MMA Podcast, but it's a little bit different today as we are back with a state of the UFC podcast and I'm absolutely delighted to be joined, I believe for the first time, on the Severe MMA Podcast by Aaron Bronsetter of TSN over in Canada to talk about the state of the UFC. Aaron, thank you very much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. How are you? I'm good. You know, Sean, it always weirds me out when I join shows that I listen to because I listen to shows at 1.7 speed. So hearing you talk at a normal speed is kind of jarring for me, but we'll, we'll make it work. I, I can't imagine it's easy to listen to me at 1.7 speed because I already speak fast. Plus the bit of an accent. I, 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 uh, I was told recently by T.O., one of our American guys, that I have a very strong accent. So is it? can you still understand me at 1.7 speed? I can understand you. I listen to Adam Catterall and Nick Pete as well at 1.7 speed, and they have, of course, their Manchester and Liverpudlian accents. So I've gotten used to listening not just to podcasts at 1.7 speed, but also to ones with accents so that it, my, my brain can process it a little better. So now I feel like if I were to go to like Limerick and visit you, I'd, I'd understand what the locals are saying because they'd be speaking at a uh, speed that's slower than you sped up to 1.7 speed. I, I think... I think that would actually probably be, be an issue because I, I'm from the county of Limerick. So I live, I don't live in the countryside, but I live in a town in Limerick. And if you went to Limerick City, which is like the third biggest city in Ireland, it's a very different accent to mine. <laughs> so I think people would probably be shocked if they didn't listen to the podcast and then went to Limerick because it'd be very, very different. But on a, on a scale of one to 10, how strong of an accent do I have? Because I'm always interested, because obviously I don't think I have any accent. But well, it's a 10 compared to mine, but I mean, <laughs> my accent's probably a 10 for you, right? Like if you Not heard me, me, if I was in Limerick County and I was walking around and talking to people, they'd be like, man, that guy's got a very strong, whatever, American accent, they'd probably say, but Canadian accent, you know. So uh, it, it's a strong accent, of course, but again, it's it's your native tongue, so it's different from what I'm used to hearing <laughs> to that's, an extreme. That's fair. Although there's a lot of Irish people in Canada as well, so I'm sure you maybe hear it here at the odd time. But yeah, no, I don't think you have a very strong accent, to be honest. I, I feel like, I, I don't know, maybe it's uh, for us, because we watch a lot of obviously American and Canadian TV. It's more, uh, I suppose it's more normal for us. Although maybe the Irish accent is becoming more normal as well. But anyway, we could we could talk for an hour about accents, but we need to talk about the, about the UFC today. And let's get straight into it. We're going to go division by division, if anyone hasn't listened to this show before uh we're going to literally talk about every division in the ufc and maybe talk about the prospects on the way up and the uh the contenders and the championship picture as well but before we get into that i'm going to talk about literally the state of the ufc because it's it feels like there's been a lot of moving and shaking recently with the the merger obviously with the endeavor and wwe and ufc uh and usada i suppose uh getting kicked out by the ufc and having a new um drug test Testing uh, Czar as well as organization to start the next year. Aren't the state of the UFC right now? It, fe- it felt like there for a long time. They were kind of just coasting and earning a lot of money, and there wasn't really much changing. Maybe little bits and pieces, but it feels like there's been a lot of change over the last while. Why do you think all that change is happening? And what do you think? I suppose the uh, the rest point of all of this is. Well, I think that the change can really be attributed to the, the really quick evolution of the sport. If you look at how many titles have changed hands in the last year, I think it speaks to how difficult it's going to be for a lot of fighters to have that longevity in terms of being a champion. When you see all of these up-and-coming prospects and you see how each division continues to change and the new contenders that are being built, 
it just seems like a revolving door. But I, the UFC, I mean, they have their 30th anniversary show in November. And it seemed like it didn't take much effort for them to even put something great together. And I think when UFC 300 rolls around, it's gotten to a point where I feel like the brand has really established itself as like, I'm watching UFC on Saturday, not like I'm watching this guy versus this guy. I think that's kind of the place that they want it to be in is that you're, you're coming for the product and not necessarily specific fighters. I think that they've spent a lot of time to kind of almost sanitize the UFC to a, a place where you, you kind of know what you're going to get each and every weekend that it's almost, you know, more than likely going to deliver, even if it's the fight card on paper is not necessarily the, the best that doesn't necessarily mean you're not going to have an entertaining Saturday night, but it also, I guess, gives people that are more casual fans options to say, hey, well, maybe this one is not the one that I'm going to watch. But, you know, making sure that they come back for the pay-per-views. The pay-per-views have gotten a lot stronger, I've noticed, in the last two years, uh, comparatively. I feel like the fight night cards, especially the ones at the Apex, have become very watered down, whereas the pay-per-views have become really, really strong. It's interesting. I, I was actually listening to a, a podcast last night, and people were talking about sitcoms and how you make sitcoms. And I was, I was kind of like, the UFC is more and not not a comedy per se, but like the the weekly episodic TV show. It's a, it's more like that almost than it is uh, a, a traditional sport. Because like, if you take a sitcom, there's a different situation every week, you know, maybe in the same place. And, and it feels like the UFC, even if it is the Apex or not the Apex, it always feels to me like it's the same place, especially when you go back and you watch the fights with no sound or whatever. And like a normal sport has, I'm sure, you know, I'm sure you have a hockey team over there or me watching the Limerick Harland team or watching Man United, or if you watched, you know, the Chicago Bulls or, you know, whatever NFL team you, you support, you're showing up every week to watch your team to support your team. But the UFC doesn't, you know, you can't have the same fighter showing up every week to fight. So it's the actual organization. It is the show itself you're showing up to watch every week. And it, I heard that last night. It's like, Jesus, that kind of struck a chord to me. It's like, it's, it, it's like people, you know, watching Game of Thrones on a Sunday night are more so than watching Man United and living and dying with it. And I think if you, if you start to look at the UFC like that, it makes a little bit more sense because... The, the UFC are literally putting on shows, as we saw during the pandemic, to make their money. They don't, they don't, you know, that, that money is already guaranteed if they do the show. So they can put on any sort of show they want. And it does feel like, as you said, the, the Apex shows are very watered down. But the reason for that is they don't have enough fighters. They don't, um, or have enough top level fighters. They have plenty of fighters, but the, the level of fighter with the Dana White Contender Series that they're signing at the moment is gone massively down. And it's all about money, 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 money. Even this USADA situation, it does feel like it's a little bit about money as well um and i don't know if that is good for the sport as a whole so you know the state of the ufc for me right now is probably the state of the ufc as it's been for a long while they're very money hungry and i think look it's hard to say it's to the detriment of the sport because long term it obviously hasn't been if you go from 1993 to here them wanting to earn a lot of money has helped the sport massively but now i think we've reached a stage where it almost has to turn a little bit. And I think money has to, you know, start flowing more to the fighters than it ever did before. But I suppose that is a, <laughs> that, that is a hard one to, uh, to I suppose, change. Before we get into to, to lightweight division, we're going to start with here, Aaron. Obviously, you're a person who's around, like, breaking fights and around the, the fight weeks itself and all. How big 
a factor is money? Like, how big a factor do you think is uh, a fight being made and the, the, you know, the UFC making a fight with the amount they have to pay someone and the amount of money they want to put out there to put on an event? Is it as big as maybe we all think or are, are we overplaying it a bit? I think the big problem with the whole conversation surrounding money is that there are so many different factors that make make it what it is. And the biggest factor that people tend to ignore, in my opinion, is that Endeavor have an enormous amount of debt that they have to pay off that continues to compound more and more interest year over year because they made the investment in the UFC and the WWE. And that's why when you say that they're so money hungry right now, they're making so much that, you know, that that's the bottom line right now is because that that's how they're going to be able to eventually make money off of this product. I mean, right now, because of the amount of debt that they have and the fact that they want to keep the UFC, like if they sold the UFC, they could get out of debt and make a profit. But because they want to keep the UFC and continue to build it, that's why that's the bottom line right now is because they continuously have to keep paying off more and more and more debt with a compounding interest. And that's what really makes it difficult for the fighters to make more money because as anybody who can see this from the outside looking in, are able to tell or sorry how sorry from more from the inside looking out actually is probably a better way of putting it like this is not run like a traditional sport like this isn't uh you know a sport that has owners and uh shares and you know where there's um revenue sharing that kind of thing like this is more like a promotional business like almost like a concert tour is a more accurate model to compare this to than a sports league even though it's on sports networks the the function of the promotion itself and how they build things and how they market things, you have to almost look at it like they're promoting events and not sporting events. Yeah. And I think that that's why there's a lot of confusion as to, to why the UFC is operating in this way right now. It's like, those are the kind of factors that people tend to ignore, which is that this is more of a, of an event promotion company rather than a sporting league. And it's more, and there's this load of debt that they have to pay off over time. And that's why you're not seeing a trickle down effect where the fighters are making more and more money. Now, now are they making um, more money individually at the very top than they used to? I think they are. But when you compare it to boxing, that's where I think that the, the middle class of the UFC are the ones that are probably the happiest, the ones making 75, 100 um, per, per fight, you know, 75 and 75, 100 and 100, so to speak, because they're the ones that are kind of paid a lot better than their boxing contemporaries. The, the people that are in the middle of boxing cards or, or, you know, starting off a main card in a boxing event are paid a lot less than that. So there's a lot of economics involved to really understand why it is what it is right now. Yeah. And I feel like as well, that, that's very true, but also like the 10 and 10, 12 and 12 entry point is, is not bad pay, but it just feels like bad pay because the UFC earns so much money. And I understand the debt thing. Believe me, as a Man United fan, I uh, <laughs> I understand that now through the years. It's the same sort of leverage buyout thing here. Uh, but like it, it feels at the same time, though, that more could be done if they wanted to do it. They just don't want to do it. And look, that's a, a conversation we've probably been having for a, a decade or more. And we'd probably continue to have. I yeah, we can do a show on this, just this very topic, the economics of the UFC. Because I mean, the fight making 10 and 10 and 12 and 12 are doing well way more uh sorry doing way better than they are would have done sorry on the on the regional scene making a lot more than the regional scene in most cases i mean you have cage warriors where i think they make a lot more money well, at the no, top no, of no, the cage war- not well, compared to like being at the bottom of a ufc card no. compared to the top of a cage warriors <laughs> card i think uh 
uh, Cage Warriors is around. I'd say if you got five grand for a fight, you'd be doing well in Cage Warriors. So it's no, it's not not great. Okay, to be so then I'm wrong on that. I mean, mm. I, I'm just trying to think of the bigger regional promotions. But then you compare it again to boxing. People on boxing prelim cards are making five hundred bucks, five hundred, yeah. five hundred, right? Yeah. So I mean, those athletes, while they are like probably underpaid, like you mentioned, in comparison to what the UFC is bringing in every single year vastly underpaid really compared to their contemporaries and compared to fighting on the regional scene, the other options available, you can rationalize it that way. But at the same time, again, when you're looking at the books and the overall value, you can look at it that way as well. Yeah, and I think people were shocked, even to say maybe people would be shocked there by me saying cage whereas people are getting five grand maybe at most. And and we saw a thing with one championship coming out a while back where uh, someone got paid like a thousand to be on the card or the undercard or something like that. It's like that's not shocking to me at all. Like the the UFC definitely pay, pay a lot more than everyone else, but they earn a lot more than everyone else. If one championship or cage warriors or whatever were paying everyone ten grand to fight, well, maybe one championship is a little bit different. But they they go to business in no time. You know, it's just it's just right. not possible. It's a different situation with the UFC. Anyway, let's uh, as you said, we could do an hour on that. Maybe, maybe it's a it's a podcast for the future that we do again. Let's talk about the the lightweight division and let's let's start at the very very top. Obviously, we just had the lightweight. Uh, title fight last week between Issam Khashev and uh, the featherweight champion Alexander Volkanovsky and I suppose the question is what's next and I did the Q&A this week and there was probably four or five questions who's going to be next is it going to be Oliveira is it going to be Gaethje my opinion Aaron is this my opinion is that Oliveira and Gaethje have both earned it but I would rather see the Gaethje fight like I think Oliveira had his chance against Makhachev in a very tough matchup, and Makhachev absolutely destroyed him. And I just feel like it's going to be the same the second time out, right? And my opinion is always this in fights, like, which is going to be the better fight? Who has the better chance of winning? And especially when it's two guys who've kind of both earned it in a similar sort of way, I think Gaethje is the guy. Uh, I know a lot of people have a different opinion. A lot of people want to see Oliveira get the second opportunity. And you know what? I don't mind Oliveira getting another opportunity, but at the moment, maybe not. What's your take on it? Who do you think should get it next and who do you want to get it next? The problem is, if you look at the rankings, you got Makachev 1, you got Oliveira, uh, sorry, Makachev the champion, Oliveira 1, Gaethje 2, Poirier 3, Darius 4, Chandler 5. Oliveira has beaten 2, 3, 4, 5, <laughs> right? So yeah. I, I find it very hard to have him get passed over by Justin Gaethje, who he recently beat. I mean, and he beat him pretty in pretty devastating fashion pretty quickly. So if we're going to say, well, Makhachev beat Oliveira really quickly, we also have to remember that Oliveira beat Gaethje pretty quickly. In fact, faster than Makhachev beat Oliveira. And Oliveira looked great against Dariush. Personally, I think Oliveira should get the next shot. I mean, he got injured, freak injury, whatever, 10 days, 12 days out from the fight. I just don't see how you can supplant him with a guy that he's already beaten and beat again pretty handily. It's it's a it's definitely a fair uh, a fair assessment. My, like as I said, my thinking is just like the Makachev being the uh, I suppose the rotating point rather, rather than Oliveira. But when you look at Oliveira and Gaethje, that is fair. I just think though with Justin Gaethje. I have been very critical of the lightweight division over the last few years, and people like Gaethje and Poria not taking the up-and-coming fighters. And the fact that Gaethje fought Fiziev and he beat him, and then he fought Poria and he beat him, not to say that Poria is an up-and-coming fighter, but he, he beat Fiziev and then he beat one of the, the, you know, the legends of the lightweight division. I just, I just think he is... 
he has earned that chance. Now, normally, like, I don't like the lads who kind of hang around and just wait for the fights, but he hasn't. You know, he's fought twice. He fought in March and he fought in July, and I like that. But, like, it is, to be fair now, it is a toss of a coin, and I think whoever gets it, I'm, I'm not going to complain too much. It looks like it will be Oliveira, but it's a good situation. I do think Gaethje will probably wait out then after that. Um, the middle of that division, I suppose, you, you talked about Pari, you talked about Darius, you talked about Chandler, uh, maybe we can leave McGregor and Chandler for a second. But the rest of that division, who do you see as maybe the guy? Who do you think is the person maybe that will go on the run and maybe after Oliveira, after Gaethje, who could be next in line there? And what big fights maybe do you want to see in the middle of that division? Well, for a time, I thought it was Armand Sarukian. He was a guy that really had convinced me that he was kind of the next guy. And we saw how well he did against Makhachev in his debut. But that last fight gave me some pause. And that's the thing about Tsurukian that I, I need to see him again. And he's going to be facing Dariush. And I think that if he gets past Dariush, that's when we start talking about Armand Tsurukian being kind of the, the next up-and-coming guy in this division. But his last fight, I know it was against a short-notice opponent, but it was a guy that he really should have breezed through. And that guy gave him some difficulties. And um, uh, what's the guy's name again um, that he beat? Uh, Silva? Um, yeah. Well, was it short-notice, though, or am I going mad? Or... It was short-notice. Yeah, yeah. uh, but at the same time, it was a guy that... Hasn't really done that well in the U.S. I'm just pulling his name up now. Well, Joaquin Silva. Um, you know, Joaquin Silva has losses to Ricky Glenn and Nazrat Hakbrost and, and Vince Bichel. And he gave Saruki all that he could handle it over the course of three rounds. Almost got to the uh, almost got to a decision. So that gives me some pause with Armand. And I, I thought that Armand Saruki beat Mateo's Gamera. That's one of the ones where, like, from a criteria standpoint, I still can't wrap my head around how they gave Gamera that fight. It's There are very few of those from, like, the last two years where I can you know, have a lot of trouble rationalizing how judges actually came to a certain score. That's one of them. But I think that he's a guy that is going to quietly move his way up if he can beat Benil Dariush. But that's that's a lot easier said than done. That said, I mean, we're kind of in a transitional period in this division because a lot of the guys are starting to age out of it. It's it's very true because I'm looking at the, the division here and there's only seven people in that division with more fights than Islam Makhachev, which is not a lot, really. And like Oliveira, Poria, uh, Dariushu, you just mentioned, Bobby Green, Tony Ferguson, uh, and Jim Miller, I think, if I, if I did mention him. It, it's, it, it really is kind of an aging division. And it, do you know what? The lightweight division is so tough to actually become a contender in. Because when you become, like, say, like Dan Hooker at number nine, Jesus, you could list off 10 people who've beat Dan Hooker. Like, and that's no disrespect to Dan Hooker or anything like that, but it's so tough that to get there, you almost have to have your record torn apart. And that's why you, you mentioned someone like Sarah Yukon. Yes, he's had tough fights and he's had a couple of losses, but like, you almost need to do that in that division. And like, you look, look, just look at like 12, 13, uh, sorry, 12 and 13. Bobby Green and Hinata Micano, like two, two guys, and Drew Dober as well at 15, who've been through the ringer and have kind of done it all in that division just to kind of make their way back into it. It's almost the survival of the fittest in that, in that lightweight division. It's very interesting. Um, so that's, I suppose, the top of the division taken care of. Some of the younger guys coming off, Baron, I think there's a lot of talent, obviously, throughout the UFC and I'm, I'm just looking at some of the guys here with you know two or three fights in the UFC and it's funny um um uh, who was it Andy uh, for Severe Med did an interview with Ken Locker and the other and he was talking about the bantamweight division and he said there's 60 bantamweight sorry 70 bantamweights in the UFC and 65 of them have losses 
that's that's kind of mad and I think losses in the UFC that's kind of mad you look at the lightweight picture here with the younger guys there's very few undefeated guys you know with more than than two fights let's say we have the likes of Elvis Brenner Manel Torres and, and a few more as well but you go to and you look for a guy who's 3-0 and 4-0 and 5-0 and, and it doesn't really exist so it's, you know we see someone say like in welterweight like Ian Gary or Morales who we'll obviously get to in a second and they don't really exist in the lightweight division but we have guys say like Chris Duncan who is doing or like Ravzabov who's one and one or Jubilee who looked good the other day for a while or Bomb Fim who have a lot of upside possibly later on but they could be uh, the upside in the same way that Hooker has an upside with lots of losses there any few names that stick out for you Aaron on the, on the way up I suppose at lightweight the crazy thing about this division Sean is if you look at this list you look up and down at the entire roster who would you say is certainly going to be a top 15 fighter out of this, this batch. And, and it's, it's hard. It's hard to find. Like I think Daniel Zellhuber at age 24 is a guy that could, could work his way into the rankings one day. I think that he still has a lot of holes in his game that need to be shored up. But at 24, I think he's got a lot of time. You mentioned Ismail Bonfim. You know, he's the, the less impressive of the uh, Bonfim brothers, but still uh, another guy that can work his way up. I thought Elvis Brenner looked um, great against Guram. And I think Guram is still a guy that... Uh, could make his way up there, even though he's one and two in the UFC, 31 years old, uh, you know, maybe two, three more wins, he might get ranked. But we, we're not seeing a ton of guys in this division when you look from top to bottom where you're like, yeah, that guy is a guy that we need to watch out for. And I think that's kind of problematic about uh, the division that's been historically one of the toughest divisions in the sport. There's only one guy with a four with a better than three and record, and that's four and in the UFC lightweight division, and that is Paddy Pimblet, which is yeah. <laughs> which is kind of great. What's your opinion on Paddy? I suppose we shouldn't leave Paddy to the side. Obviously, he's fighting uh, Tony Ferguson coming up here. A lot of people are very critical of that matchmaking. Uh, to be honest, I kind of liked it. What, what's your opinion on that fight and Paddy in general? Yeah, I like it too. I don't. I don't have a real problem with it because I don't think that Patty is necessarily a guy who's been coming out and just like running through guys where, where you're like, this guy's got championship potential. I think there's still a lot of questions about him, and that's why when you put him against a guy like Ferguson, who still has looked okay. I mean, you can't say he's looked great, but he still hasn't looked like a fish out of water in the UFC where he's just coming in and getting absolutely wrecked in every fight. While he's on that losing streak, you, you got to look at the names that he's losing against. Um, like if you were to put Bobby Green against. Patty Pimblett, would you think that Patty Pimblett would win that fight? Like, I'd have a a difficult time believing that you could definitively say that he would win that fight. Um, You know, I think Jalen Turner is another guy that's kind of under 30 that, you know, he's had his ups and downs, but still a really talented fighter. And I think that Patty, you know, I, I, I won't criticize. I think Patty gets way more criticism than he deserves because I think a lot of people are like, this guy's not a future champion, but you know, and Patty talks a big game, but at the same time, I still think Patty's a very good, well-rounded fighter. So I think that that's why this is a good matchup. But, you know, if you were to ask me, is Patty Pimblet definitely going to be a top 15 fighter at some point? I'd say that his chances are probably as good as the others that I, that I had mentioned, um, you know, previously, when you look at some of these names. Um, I think Benoit Saint-Denis is a guy that we're kind of ignoring as well. I probably should be mentioning because he's fighting Matt Favola, who's currently ranked. He's probably got the best bet of saying that guy's going to be ranked one day in the UFC at age 27 with what we've seen from him, uh, undefeated so far at lightweight. So he's a guy that I think we have to keep our eye on. But there's just not a lot of really big standouts here in this division. Again, I think that's a little bit problematic given uh, how strong this has been of a division 
historically. Yeah, hundred percent. And I think there's a lot of talent. Like the like Benoit said, Danny. Uh, I really like Joel Alvarez. I know he's taken a few losses, but that's the thing here. You have to look past that. Obviously, you know, even like a guy like Terence McKinney, if he was to put able to put it all together, very talented guy as well. But it, on the, just on the Paddy situation, like obviously I've watched Paddy for a long time fighting in cage wires, and it, it's funny because Paddy came into the UFC and people are like, "Oh, here's the next big prospect coming from cage wires." I'm like, that's not really the case. Like Paddy was a champion in cage wires and then lost and came back and had a long time out injured. Like Paddy is probably in his prime right now. It's it's not it's not as if he's climbing his way up to the top uh, of his ability. He's there, so he has to kind of do it now or he'll never do it. Uh, and you know, I've thought, thought my opinion about that before. We, we maybe we leave that now. I, I my opinion in short is he it'll never happen, but we will see. Last thing because we could spend an hour on, on lightweight. McGregor Chandler, what's your opinion on it? Do you think it happens? A lot of people are still skeptical it doesn't happen. Uh, and if so, how? Uh, what, what's your uh, your your temperature on Conor McGregor coming back? Uh, well, it's a tough one, man, because you look at what Conor's up to these days, and you're not seeing a whole lot of training footage. Um, you know, this is a guy who said he wanted to fight by the end of this year, and it doesn't look like he's ready to fight at all. Uh, you know, I, I just can't favor. Conor McGregor against any ranked lightweight right now based on what, what I've seen outside of the cage. Now, we also know the magic that he's made inside of the cage, but I still think that Chandler is a good, viable matchup for him. Like, I think that that's a matchup that still makes sense. I mean, Chandler's 37. He's, he's on the older end of things. If you look up and down this division, there aren't a whole lot of fighters that are older than Michael Chandler. I mean, there's like Carlos Diego Vajera, uh, you know, Vince Pichel is 40, <laughs> Ferguson, who we mentioned. Um, you know, you've got your Jim Millers, your Clay Guidas, like the, the really old school guys. But I think that it's a good logical matchup for Connor's return. And, and if he is able to beat Michael Chandler, who's currently ranked number five, like you kind of have to put Connor back into the top five of this division. So I think it's a solid litmus test for where Connor McGregor's at. Yeah. Um, I do. I agree with the first part of the sentence there that if he does win, he will be back in there. I would rather him fight the winner of Paddy Ferguson, to be honest. I think that would make a lot more sense. Like, it's not as if Connor can't fight anymore, but he needs to be able to get back in there, have a camp, get back into shape, win a fight, and then we go back to Connor being a guy who could possibly move into the rankings and move towards the championship again. You you can't play at MMA. Like you can't just decide, oh, I'm gonna fight in three months later, you're one of the best fighters in the world. It just it just can't work that way. So but the money money talks as we, we spoke about at the start, and I don't think that's gonna happen. Uh let's move on to the Featherweight division. Obviously, as, a, as a, a proud Canadian yourself, I'm sure you would have been delighted to have Volkanovski versus Taporia as the headliner for the upcoming Canadian card at the start of next year. What's your opinion on that now? Do you think it still happens? Obviously, Volkanovski was kind of very adamant that he still wa- you know, he wanted to fight pretty quickly, but I was talking about it as well on the Q&A last week that, you know, mental health is obviously very very important but the physical health as well after taking a big knockout like that and big cuts in his face obviously the cuts will 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 heal up pretty quickly but that you know that concussive blow is not something you want to be coming back from pretty quickly what's the take on an iron right now i think probably most people would agree that volkanovsky would be better off not fighting on that card but do you think he will and do you think that will be the headliner of, of the upcoming canadian card as a fight fan, it's a fan I really want to see. And as somebody who's going to be covering this event in Toronto, I think it would be a big fight. But as somebody who really respects Alexander Volkanovsky and his achievements and, and thinking of him as a person, I really don't see how he, he can take that fight. I mean, his post-fight 
um, press conference was depressing. Like, you know, there's really no other way of putting it. And as somebody who has three kids, I, I understand where he's coming from. You know, you have a, a kid and it's supposed to be this moment that's just is, is this happy, happy moment. And when your kid is born, it's this beautiful moment. But when you actually have the kid home with you, it's a lot of work and it's a lot of um, emotional baggage that comes with it. And a lot, it's very taxing. Um, and for him to say, well, I was rehabbing for my injury and I, you know, I couldn't train the way I wanted to and I have a, a new kid at home. You know, a lot of people will say, well, count your blessings. You've, you've got a lovely family. You're making tons of money. You're one of the best in the world at what you do. But I, I could really feel that. I could really relate to what, what Volkanovsky was saying there. And, and for him to say, like, you know, I, I felt like I needed to take a fight and I feel like I need to fight in order to, to stay kind of mentally balanced. Like, I feel like that's a dangerous place for him to be. And to really force himself into a situation where he was certainly not prepared for that fight. Uh, you know, he admitted that after the fact. I'm not speaking out of turn here. I, I just don't think that it would make any sense for him to turn it around for January, especially if that's the only thing. Like, I think he needs to speak to somebody and, and find ways to be happy and at peace without fighting for a little bit. Um, it seems like Israel, his teammate, um, has has done that. He's going to take a step away, and he he's felt a little bit burnt out. And I think that there could still be some burnout that he's not recognizing at this point. So, to me, I think it's going to end up being Max Holloway versus Topuria for an interim title. Oh, I think God, Bo no. Sits, no. I think Bo sits for a bit, and I think that Holloway probably beats Topuria. <laughs> uh, and we get, we get the fourth fight between them. But at the same time, I think a fourth fight with Volkanovski turning 35, coming he's one and two in his last three. I think it is a little bit more compelling than maybe the, the third fight was. <laughs> maybe not as compelling as the first two, but more compelling than the third fight was. Because I think that if Holloway is able to beat Topuria, and he's beaten basically every other challenger, similar to what I said about Oliveira, from you know two through to six, uh, you, you know two through to seven, I think it is for Holloway. Has Holloway beaten Josh Emmett? Am I forgetting about it? Um, uh, he's beaten everyone, even if he's he hasn't. Much <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, so I mean, uh, I think that. Uh, it's going to be very interesting to see what uh, happens there. But I, I personally don't think we're going to see Volkanovski Topuria in January. I don't think you could make a worse matchup in the UFC than Holloway versus Topuria. Like, in terms of making sense, look, look, if they were fighting, I would love to see them fight. It's a very fun fight. But this featherweight division for years has like it's gone from Mendez Aldo Mendez Aldo Edgar Aldo Edgar Aldo uh, Aldo Holloway Aldo Holloway Aldo Holloway Holloway Volkanovski Holloway Volkanovski it's just the same five people for uh, two decades almost it feels like it's just I, uh, I I love and hate the featherweight division so much we need you need to move on from Max Holloway if you want to put Max Holloway in there against any of the other lads you mentioned there or someone else up and coming no problem but you cannot take away the next title contender and give it to Max Holloway in an interim title and have another Max Holloway fight possibly now I actually think Taporia beat Max Holloway. I'm that high on Taporia. I think he's really, really, really good. I, I actually have a sneaking feeling he might beat Volkanovski, but maybe that's a conversation for another day. But I really hope they don't make that. But the reason they would make it, as you were kind of alluding to there, is they, they need a title fight for Canada. And like I saw yeah. someone saying the other day, okay, we'll, and we'll talk about the, that division soon, but the women's bantamweight division title maybe could be thrown in there. But, oh, God, I, I love the fight, but not for an interim title. Just And not even as a fight now. You have to hold Taporia for Volkanovski. And whenever and he's one ready. One other thing to remember, though. Yeah. Outside of Hawaii, Toronto is the place where I think Max Holloway is the most popular. Like, they love Max Holloway in Toronto, and he loves fighting in Toronto. So I think that... Uh, you know, he's almost adopted. He, what does he call it? 10th Island is uh, Toronto. 
he's become a Raptors fan. Like he's kind of identified with the city in a way where like, if this was not happening in Toronto, I think that you could maybe juggle a couple things and find another title fight. But I think if you want to make a fight, that's going to make sense in this city. I think Holloway versus Topuria from a box office standpoint, not from a divisional standpoint, like you're saying, but from a box office standpoint, I think that Toronto, you know, fans of Toronto would embrace that as a main event. Yeah. I I actually, I think that's very fair, but God almighty, uh, we have to think beyond just the one event, but it feels like the UFC aren't doing that recently. But anyway, um, the rest of the division, you know, I think what you said there about Holloway beating, you know, three, four, five, and six and all that, it just speaks to featherweight as well, even more so than lightweight. There's just so many fighters there who've taken so many losses. Someone will go on a three-fight run, and that will be, I suppose, the next contender. So we don't maybe need to delve too much on that. But who are some of the up-and-comers that you see at, uh, at featherweight? There's... A lot of talent in the featherweight division. We saw, you know, the, the Nayamov win at the weekend. Uh, we've seen William Gomez, who's 3-0 and uh, in the UFC. A guy like Jonathan Pierce, who I believe was, was ranked at one stage as 5-1. and one. There's some very good talent, isn't there, in this featherweight division, as there always is. Yeah, and one guy that I'm really high on is Diego Lopez. Like, I think Diego Lopez could end up being uh, a top five guy one day. I think he's made a lot of noise uh, thus far, we also saw that guy Gabriel Santos. He lost two in a row, but he this is a guy that just looks like he's got so much talent. Uh, he ended up losing to David Onama. That was a great fight. Now, Onama is also a, a really solid talent. So we've got a lot of up-and-comers. We've got Charles Jordan from Canada. I mean, he's always putting on exciting fights. Uh, Jonathan Pierce, who you mentioned, he's going to be fighting soon against Joe Anderson Brito. I think that's going to tell us a lot about where he's at in his career. Um, you know, Jordan's... 27, he's 6-5-1 and one in the UFC. He's not the most spectacular record, but he's so busy and he keeps getting better and better. Uh, I thought Sadiq Yusuf's loss was a, a tough one because he's somebody who was coming up. Bryce Mitchell, when he's at his best, is really, really tough to beat. And I'm just looking at guys that are under 30 in this division. I mean, Arnold Allen's still only 29. He's 10-1 in the UFC. <laughs> we, can't, we can't forget about Arnold Allen just because he lost to Max Holloway. And I think that fight against uh, Movsar Evloyev is going to be a real telltale sign of where he's at in his career because I think Evloyev is another guy that is going to move his way up quickly in this division. So talented. Um, and, you know, he actually got that win over uh, Diego as well, Diego Lopez. So... But Diego gave him all that he could handle. So there's just a lot of, of solid up-and-coming fighters right now. There's nobody that's super young where I'm like, yeah, I mean, Topuri is 26. He's one of the youngest guys he's in the division the guy, right now, yeah. right? Yeah, we have to keep that guy. in mind. So, uh, you know, still a lot of talent in this division and a really, really difficult division to move up in as well. I, I actually really like Pat Sabatini as well. And it's funny, he's fighting oh, yeah. Diego Lopez at UFC 295. So that's a really good fight if we're uh, wanting to watch up-and-comers on, on the way. So obviously, I mean, Sabatini uh, is like 33 or something. Though, isn't he? 32. Yeah. But still, uh, I think he's a really talented guy in a tough matchup. The, the, the weird thing is, I think uh, Pat Sabatini, I would, um, I would compare him to Grant Dawson a li- little bit. That like, yeah, I think he's going to be really good up until a certain level and there's going to have to be something big that comes to kind of change that. I think for Dawson, obviously, he's probably a little bit younger and it can come, but that loss of Bobby Green was pretty worrying. But yeah, I, I, I like fighters like that who are just tough, hard-nosed fighters and you know will kind of stick in there for a while, but uh, I think he's definitely one in that division. Let's move to bantamweight. Um, Sean O'Malley is the champion there. Who's he going to fight next, Aaron? What's, what's the take on that one? Well, as time continues to tick on, I think it makes less and less sense for him to fight Cheeto Vera. Like, Cheeto Vera seemed like a matchup where if he was going to fight in December, he's kind of like the, the only guy that's available, right? Like, his Cejudo was injured, Davalos Vili was injured, re- rehabbing, Corey Sanhagen was injured. But now, 
like, are you just going to give O'Malley Chito Vera because it had been talked about? Like, there are so many more qualified opponents than Chito Vera now available. You can look at Duvalishvili, Cejudo, or Sanhagen. I, you know, I think Cejudo probably needs to get a win before he fights for the championship next. But I just don't know how you can pass up Rob Duvalishvili based on what he did to Pyotr Jan in that last fight. Like, he, he wrecked Pyotr Jan. Absolutely wrecked Pyotr Jan. Yeah. And people were talking about Pyotr Jan like he was going to be, like, the champion of the bantamweight division for, like, five years right? Nobody had done anything close to that to Piotr Jan over that duration of time. Including O'Malley, you know? Yeah, yeah, right. And I mean, the O'Malley fight with Jan was very close. So, uh, really to me, is the most qualified challenger, but if you ask me to bet on who I think is going to be, I would bet on Cheeto Vera today. What do you think the situation between Sterling and Dashvili is going to work out? Because, like, let's say Dashvili does get the title shot. Like, does Sterling just move directly back up? Like, would Sterling even take a title shot now if he was given one because of this whole Dashvili friendship? I just think it's a very odd situation there. How, how do you think that's uh, that one is going to play out over the next six months or 12 months even? I don't think that they're going to give Sterling another title shot based on how he lost that fight. Um, if I were Sterling, I would try to move up to featherweight and face Holloway. Like, I, that's what I... I think makes the most sense. Just just climb up the division. I think he's going to be waiting around too long if he's going to wait for another bantamweight shot. Based on his age, I think his best course would be just to move up to... Because if we look at featherweight, like there's there's not a ton of contenders right now that Volkanovski hasn't already beaten. So if I'm Aljo, I, I see, you know, get the temperature of the UFC and say, hey, if I move up to featherweight, you know, what, what's out there for me? Can, can I face Topuria? Can I face... Max Holloway. Can I face Yair Rodriguez? I think that there's more fun matchups for him there and to try to reestablish himself in that division and let Marab kind of do his thing at bantamweight. It, it would, could that be a headliner in Canada? Do you think they'd do that possibly? Sterling versus uh, Holloway? Well, I think they'd have to put an interim title on it and I don't yeah. think that would be fair to Elia Topuria. Yeah, that's fair. Although it wasn't fair to Aaron Land the last time when they when they did the interim night leaders, and they won't be they won't be too bad about that. But yeah, look, it's it's obviously a very interesting uh, interesting uh, chat about that. And I I feel like the bantamweight division is probably the most clear division in terms of there are two or three contenders there. As you said, the likes of Cejudo, if he could get one more win, maybe even Sante can get one more win. They could put themselves back in that contention. And then it also feels like the top prospects coming through in that division are almost there right now. Like the likes of Umar and Saeed Nurmagomedov who just got into the rankings um, are on the way up and in like in, in the rankings there, like the Basharat uh, brothers, obviously Farid fighting at, at one, um, uh, a one thirty five. And the, you know, there's a lot of guys in this division around the, you know, the four and all four and one mark, like Taylor Lapalus, who had a great win over, obviously over Caelan Ockren, who's still a very good prospect in that division up becoming the likes of Kyler Phillips, who is uh five and one and Montel Jackson, even who's seven and two, like, uh, like Saeed Nurmagomedov in, in the UFC right now. I think they've obviously different records outside the UFC, but it's, it's a stacked division. Any names stand out to you there or anyone else? Maybe I didn't mention who you think could be uh, an issue for people in, in, in the, maybe in the next couple of years well if Christian Rodriguez can continue, can start making weight I think he's going to be a problem for a lot of fighters you know 25 I mean like you said Umar and Saeed are, are kind of no-brainers I think Umar is going to be a future champion um, you know the, the problem is the gatekeepers of the division are all killers like you're going to have to go through what like a Jonathan Martinez that's not going to be easy Chris Gutierrez those guys are going to chop your legs off uh, Ricky Simone is not going to be easy out Pedro Munoz is still tough as nails uh, you know, Dominic Cruz still sticking around, Rob Font. Like, you have to get through all of these veterans in order to make your way into that top five. And, and of the names that are here, like, who do you 
who can you say certainly can do that? Like Kyler Phillips being only 28, I think is interesting. Um, he's a guy that can certainly move up. I think Brady, he stands a solid fighter, 24 years old. There's a lot of really good fighters coming up like uh, Daniel Santos, Willie cat. He's solid 28 years old. So it's going to be, uh, and I think even Cameron Simon losing that to Christian Rodriguez, I think that if Christian Rodriguez was on weight for that fight, that fight goes a little differently. The, the size, I think, made a big difference in that fight. Plus, you've got Raul Rosas Jr. who's 19 and, and looking good when he gets the opportunity. He's going to keep growing. So uh, this is a great division because you've got a great mix of solid prospects and also just tough, tough, tough as nails guys in the rankings that those guys are going to have to get through in order to prove that they belong at the top of this division one day. Yeah, like a guy, say I mentioned Taylor Lapalus there, uh, and obviously a fight with Kale Lockhart. Like Kale is a top level prospect coming through, but that's the sort of matchup you get when you come into this division. Right, a guy who's just been, and I know he was, I suppose, re-debuting in the UFC, but this is a guy who's like the top bantamweight in Europe for years and years and years, and should never have been left from the UFC. And it's just that's the type of guy you're going to get. Like even say, like in the middle of the division, someone like a match. Uh, sorry, like um, uh, I'm looking down at at, at one. Uh, uh, 125 now but like like a Pedro Munoz or like a Cruz as you mentioned it's very tough to climb that division but let's move to Flyweight Flyweight to me and this might sound very mean and unfair but when you have a matchup between Pantoja and Rival as your title fight and I'm the biggest uh, Flyweight supporter ever and have been over the last few years it just feels like we go from Demetrius and you go from uh, Henry Cejudo and the mad uh, quadrology between Figueredo and uh, and Moreno and now you, you know, this is the matchup there look it's deserved it's a good fight and everything like that but it's as you mentioned the phrase box office a few minutes ago it's not exactly a box office is it and there's a few more guys coming through as well who are not exactly box office now there's a few guys coming after like Manel Cape uh, maybe Mikhaev and Moreno and Figueredo maybe getting back in there as well although Figueredo's moving up now isn't he uh, that, that could do that but I feel like we could have a rough few months here for the flyweight division what, what's your take on that I know we probably shouldn't be talking that way because it is a good fight but it's hard to ignore that too isn't it yeah, i kind of disagree because this is the perfect co-main for john jones versus stipe there's no pressure on it to be a box office draw and pantosha versus roy Val is going to deliver like there's just no chance that fight's bad uh, you know i are they the two best flyweights in the world right now i don't know but i think that as a fight there's just no way to hate on pantosha versus roy Val. these are two of the best action fighters in the division and uh, i just can't wait to see how that one plays out. That's going to be an awesome fight. And from what I understand, I think they're trying to match up Moreno with Amir Albazi. Figueredo is moving to bantamweight. So I think that we're going to see a lot of really interesting fights at flyweight. But I think you're right. We're starting to see a lot of the same names kind of stagnate at the top of that division. Although I think Manel Kopp is a guy that will make his way up into that top three very soon. I think he's got a lot of talent and he keeps improving and getting better and better. So I want to see how Manel Kopp looks down the line. Mokayev's performance this past weekend left me with a lot of questions. Still very young, a guy that's going to work his way up eventually. But I still think that he's got a lot of work to do if he's going to be able to compete with a lot of these, uh, these tough guys in the division, uh, you know, towards the top. I, I actually, that Mokayev performance, I was t- talking about this during the week as well. It was one of those performances that, uh, by itself, it's not the best performance. Although, you know, you beat Tim Elliott, who's a veteran in the game. It's a very good win and performance. But he needed a fight like that almost. 
you know, because his fights beforehand, he's been too much messing and, oh, I'm going to destroy this guy. He actually had to take this fight seriously. He got put in a couple of bad positions. He had to fight through him and eventually won. And as you said, he's a young fighter. It was a mature display for me. And that... I would almost rather that than a destruction. You know, he needs a fight like that. He needs probably a five-round fight next, and he'll move on. But this division, I think, is very interesting because uh, similarly enough to, to the last division we are talking about, the the guys that are coming through, you know, the the undefeated, the prospects are on the way up. Mikhaev is only 5-0, and, oh, and he's, you know, already ranked where is he? He's ranked number 10 now. I'm sure he'll be moving up again. Tatsuya Tiara, 4-0. Oh. Uh, Amir Albazi, who mentioned earlier as well, is 5-0. Uh, is and oh. These people have arrived. So the prospects are almost the challengers in this division, and it's absolutely, um, it's absolutely fantastic to see. So, like... And I, you know, you're right. I, I did find a way to hit and and the, the title fight, but I think there's plenty of good stuff coming, uh, coming after that. Um, the crazy thing about Mokayev, and I was looking at his stats. Yeah, he averages six point four seven takedowns per fifteen minutes. He he lands in significant strikes. Guess how many significant strikes he lands per minute? If you had to guess off the top of your head, I'm gonna go with nine. Nine significant strikes landed per minute? Yeah. That's probably low now, is it? I got 20. I don't know. He lands 1.12 significant strikes landed per minute. That's not great. 1.12. That is like, what did Francis, I'm going to look up Francis and Ganu for it. Like, when you think low output, Francis and Ganu is probably a guy that comes to mind. Francis and Ganu landed double that. Okay. So, I mean, that's just a crazy stat to me. I mean, he only absorbs 1.1, and he actually absorbs a little bit more than he puts out. But that, which is still extremely low. That's like kind of Islam Makhachev level of like significant strikes absorbed per minute, but only landing 1.12. Like this guy's striking needs to evolve if he's going to be a guy in this division. Because you saw, and I think the criteria speaks to this, Tim Elliott was up 20 to 18 going into that third round on, on two judges' scorecards. So there are going to be situations where Makhachev is going to be able to use his grappling and, and use it to, a, to, to success. But you're going to have guys striking from bottom, throwing up submission attempts. They're going to win. Like eventually he's going to lose a fight that way because he's too inactive with his striking. And I, I think that he really needs to pick that up. That Yeah, that is fair. It's funny, though, because I, obviously I watched a lot of Makhachev before he got to the UFC and even as a, an amateur and things. And it was almost the opposite of that. When he was when he was an amateur, you know, he was fighting, you know, and an early probably fought playing O'Driscoll, and it was like he was a Marab type of fighter, maybe you know, throwing lots of takedowns and lots of shots and everything. Um, I, uh, I, yeah, you're right though. Like I, 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 I think the worst thing that they could do with Mahayev is to rush him. Like, and he's talking about Karakai Kara friends, and it's, a few people said it to me this week on the Q and A. Like, give him maybe an Alex Perez or something like that, and then Kai Kara friends, and then a title shot if he's ready for it at that stage. And I think you know, I, I think your point goes to that as well. Um, Alex Perez is a perfect fight for Makayev next. Yeah. I, I like that. That's very. That's a very sharp. Uh, selection on your part. It wasn't me. I that's, just why the, that's why you're the podcast. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't me. It wasn't me. Someone just uh, someone said. Oh, okay. I think, uh, who was it? <laughs> Christopher Graham over in the over the Q and A. I think said it. Uh, let's move to the the, the women's divisions and uh, the strawweight division, which. It always looks strong, to be honest. Obviously, Zhang Weili, the champion uh, there right now. Um, she, who she, has she a matchup next? She doesn't have a matchup next. There, there's a Chinese card coming up, isn't there? And Yan Zhaonan, that fight would yeah, make that, a lot of sense. Yeah, that won't be on that card. Do you not think so? And then Tatiana Suarez as well. Who, who, who do you think is going to get the next shot? I think I'll give it to Yan Xiaonan. I think that uh, Weili versus Xiaonan makes the most sense right now. I know that Suarez... 
Um, I, you know, I think they kind of want to keep Suarez off to the side. They don't want to lose that Weili versus Yan Xiaonan fight. And I think that they'll probably end up having that fight in a city that has like a big Chinese population. Uh, I, I mean, they're coming to Toronto in January. I think that's a possibility. I think if, if there, I don't know if there's going to be a card in Houston or anything like that. They've got a pretty big Chinese population. There are a lot of different cities. Um, they might go to New York for UFC 300. I don't know if that's where they're looking at it. But MSG, from what I understand, is a possibility. That would be a good landing place for Weili versus Xiaonan. So I think that we will see that fight in the coming months. Um, that would be my guess. I think they go with that versus uh, over Whaley versus Suarez rather. Do you think Suarez, why did I say it like that? Suarez? Uh, do, you, <laughs> do you think she fights someone else in the meantime or do you think she just kind of sits it out? Like for someone who's been out for so long, I'm sure she kind of doesn't want to sit out. She'd almost rather take a fight. And maybe like the last display as well, it wasn't, wasn't exactly her best display, although she, you know, obviously she got it done in the end. What, what's the take on that? Do you think she should hop back in there or, or hold on and, and wait to see the winner of that one? She told me she wants to stay busy. Uh, so I, I think if you do her versus Amanda Lemos, that should be a fight that, that I would imagine she would win. So I think that would be a fight that would make sense if she does want to stay busy. It's very interesting. There's a lot of fights coming up in this division as well, like the likes of Gillian Robertson versus uh, Pollyanna Viana. I think it was just announced the other day, Mackenzie Dern is fighting Jessica Andrade, who feels like, has anyone fought as much as Jessica Andrade in, in, in the last couple of years? Or she, like she fought Suarez. It was a five for her this year. Four or five. I, know, yeah. I think it's five. Suarez, yeah, Sean and Blanchfield and Murphy all this year. Yeah, And she had a good few months off before that. And she's, you know, one in three in that. And this is a tough enough matchup for her as well. It's, you know, it's, uh, I wonder, is this her kind of saying, look, this is the, the far end of my career. I'm going to earn as much money as possible. Thanks for the cheese. I'll see, I'll see you later. Start to stuff, maybe, but um, is there anyone that division you see coming up? Cause like, it feels like we've just been waiting for Suarez for about five or six years. Um, and it's hard to see anyone else kind of matching her in terms of a, a top level prospect. But you know, there are a few people, uh, it feels like a lot of contender series people and a lot of different fighters come to obviously Ireland's Sean Abandon is there as well. She's like, she lost her uh, opener, but she's um, a very good prospect as well as, you know, we saw Victoria Dudikova uh, the other day fighting as well. Anyone for you that, that stands out as a prospect maybe that isn't ranked yet? This is a great division right now because I think that there are a lot of fighters that we're going to see in the future really explode in this division, but it's not their time yet. I think Josephine Knudsen looked very good in her last fight. I mean, she was fighting somebody that probably doesn't belong in the UFC and probably should have gotten a finish there, but... Uh, she looked good. Jacqueline uh, uh, Amarim, I think, is a really solid prospect. She's like, she reminds me of like Charles Oliveira with her killer instinct. She's always looking for finishes. Denise Gomez, I think, is very, very good. Yasmin Lucindo, 21 years old, really good. Yasmin uh, Yaurigui, I know she lost her last fight, but I still wouldn't give up on her. She's only 24 years old. Uh, I, I think Luana Pinheiro is very good, and she's starting to face the likes of like, she's got Amanda Rima, uh, Hibas next. I think that's a good matchup. Lupi Godinez. She's 30, but her wrestling, I think, is as good as anybody outside of maybe Tatiana Suarez in this division. Uh, a lot of really solid matchups. She's facing Tabitha Ricci, who I also think is very good. Corey McKenna, I think, has looked great so far. She's 3-1 and one in the UFC. A lot of really quality fighters in their 20s that are coming up right now. And then you look at the top of the division and, and the rankings, they're all in their 30s for the most part. So I think we're going to see this new era of strawweights get ushered in in the next two, three years. And I think it's going to be a really strong class. 100%. And I think the flyweight division then, I had Zane Simon on this show maybe two years ago and he we were kind of talking about it being the weakest division in the UFC. And then he kind of said to me, 
but it's building and it will get there and you'll see in a few years and here we are in a few years and by god <laughs> like you you talked about like up and comers maybe in 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 the uh, the 115 pound division like you look at Tracy Cortez, Natalia Silva, Casey O'Neill, Karina Silva like all prospects coming through are all ranked now. That's brilliant for the division, I think. And you have the likes of Macy Barber, who's also kind of up and coming. You have the the, the people who've been around for a long time, like the Chukagan, Andraj, uh, Lauren Murphy type of fighters as well. And Tali Santos maybe could turn into that. You have Shevchenko, obviously the former champion. We'll, we'll talk about that in a second. And then you have Blanchfield and Firo, who are have both like massively put themselves in line for, for a title shot it's a brilliant division in my opinion what about the title shot though Aaron like is it Shevchenko next after you know that that it's not not necessarily a robbery but a bad decision it should have gone the other way it should have been uh, what it should have been a draw I can't even remember now but the 10-8 at the end of the 5th round Shevchenko has to get that rematch doesn't she I would think so. I mean, personally, I would love to see Shevchenko versus Manon Fjord just from an X's and O's standpoint, and I'd love to see Grasso versus Blanchfield. So I don't think that's the direction they go. I think they do end up making the trilogy fight. But uh, yeah, I, I think you, you kind of do have to go in that direction and and see how it goes. And, uh, you know, the older Shevchenko gets, I think the, the, the less likely it is that she's going to regain the title. So I think it, it kind of is the time is now for that. And I think you can make Blanchfield versus Fioro in the meantime. I, I don't think anybody gets hurt by that. And then you have your established next contender. Because as you mentioned, there are so many good up-and-coming fighters in this division. You look at 11 through 14, Tracy Cortez, Natalia Silva, Casey O'Neill, Karine Silva, and the future is like right there in front of us. Macy Barber is younger than all of them, and she's ranked number eight. So this is a division that has so many good up-and-coming fighters. And like you mentioned, it never looked like this division was ever going to get good. And now suddenly here we are, and bantamweight is like the dog's breakfast of the UFC. Yeah. What do you think is going to happen at bantamweight? It feels like, you know, that title fight uh, is going to be on in Toronto, maybe. Um, who do you think is going to be in it? And that, like, that division is just, it's just died to death, really. Federer isn't even in the rankings anymore, so does that even exist? But for the women's bantamweight division, it needs a Blanchfield, you know, it needs a Firo, it needs someone like that. Uh, you know, it needs a McKinsey Darn. It just doesn't have it at the moment, it feels, uh, in bantamweight. It, tough, tough to promote that division, isn't it? the cupboard is absolutely bare in this division. It's just looking at it from top to bottom. Like there's no, there's nobody in their twenties that looks like they're any good. It's, and I hate to say that, like, it's just, they just haven't done a great job of getting new fighters for this division. And when they do get them, it, t- it seems like they always move down to uh flyweight. And a lot of the fighters that at one point looked like they were kind of up and coming fighters didn't pan out. Ketlin Vieira, Macy chase on, you know, I, I just don't know what they can do with this division to make it interesting at all. And, um, you know, you mentioned it could be in Toronto. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping it isn't, to be honest. <laughs> uh, honestly, I, I just, uh, what are they going to do? Pen, Pena versus Pennington? It's like, seems so, yeah. Yuck. I, I just don't know what you, I would put that on a fight night, to be honest, and, and build up, uh, you know, build up your audience with a title fight on TV. But uh, there's just nothing going on in this division. I, uh, not, not much even for us to talk about. No, I, I, the only person I like in that division, well, that's unfair, but I like Buena Silva. I think, I just I think agree. she's mm-hmm. exciting. She's improving all the time. She's beating people, I suppose, better and better now all the time. I would try to put her into a title fight. And you, do you know what? You almost need 
and it's not going to happen, but you need a Misha Tate to win two fights and get a title fight to bring a bit of star power to that division, or you need something, and it just doesn't feel like it's there. Like, you need a Jermaine Durandamy coming back and finding her, you know, just some something. But even, like, looking at the division, scrolling through here, there isn't that many people in the division. Like, it's... it's I mean, not, the thing is... Yeah. We forget about my. I know Myra's fight was overturned to a uh, no contest, but she's eligible to compete in like a month. So you can still do Myra Bueno Silva versus Pena for the title. I think that's what they should do. I agree. You know, that's respect to Pennington. Like, I think Pennington has certainly earned it. Like, Tisha Torres had a baby, and the week, a week later, she was in Vancouver making weight to, as a backup for that fight and made the weight and like did her job. So I, I hate to take it away from her, and she's doing well. Like, she's on a bit of a run. But I think, like you said, Myra Bueno Silva is probably the most interesting thing going about this division. Um, I thought Melissa Dixon looked very good recently, but she's 32. And, I mean, she could work her way up quickly. She just needs, like, two wins, uh, you know, in the state of this division. But uh, there's just not much else here. Indeed. Let's move on. Let's talk about the welterweight division next. And uh, this is... One of the most fun divisions, I would say one of the most fun divisions currently that's ever been in the UFC. You have so many unbelievable prospects on the way up. You still have, uh, you know, obviously the ex-champion in Usman, who's been very unlucky over his last three. You have Leanne Edwards, who I suppose has shocked the world now a couple of times. You have Colby Covington and what Colby Covington is, but like Rachmanov... Like, what a prospect he is. Our own Ian Gary, what an unbelievable prospect he is. Jack Della Medellina, unbelievable prospect as well. As well, All of these people ranked. And you've factored enough, who's just in the rankings now as well. You've Michael Morales, who I'm sure will be there pretty soon as well. It's, I know, Aaron, like, people love to say lightweight and bantamweight are the best divisions in the UFC, but it's, I think it's hard not to call welter, uh, welterweight the best division in the UFC. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, welterweight's got a lot of great pieces. Um, you know, in terms of Canadians, Mike Malott is probably the best hope we have right now of a guy that's going to be ranked in the top 10 at some point in time. Uh, you know, he's a guy that we, we need to keep our eye on as well. But uh, yeah, it's just, if you look at it from 1 to 15, it's probably the strongest division right now uh, in terms of how competitive it is. It's just an, an unbelievable lineup of talent uh, ranked from 1 to 15. There's just not much more to say. Like you said, even Fakhradinov getting in now with Hamzat moving to middleweight. If you match any of these guys up on any given night, you're going to get a great fight. Yeah, and it's it feels like that's kind of happening. Obviously, we have uh, the title fight coming up between Leon Edwards and uh, and Colby Covington, which, you know, is may, maybe the worst of all of those fights, but we, we, we'll, we'll see that at the time. Um where do you think it's going to go after that? Because Bilal feels like he's sitting out and, and just waiting and kind of getting forgotten about more and more, which is very unfortunate because he's won some great fights over the last while. And I just feel like, say, someone like a Rachmanov or someone like an Ian Gary could go in there and get a massive win against someone else and he might be bypassed. Um, what's your feeling around, the, the I suppose, the, the next stage of that division? And it's kind of wild because so many of these guys train together as well. Like... Uh You've got Usman, you've got uh, Burns, Rachmanov, Ian Gary, all from time to time, and uh, sorry, and Luke, all from time to time are training at Team Kilcliffe, which is pretty remarkable. You have so, such great talent in the room to, to help lift each other up. But yeah, I, there are a lot of interesting matchups that can be made here. I would love to see like Jeff Neal versus Gilbert Burns, I think would be a great fight. Uh, they could even rebook the Neal versus Gary fight. I think that would be interesting. You know, I, Kevin Holland is making his way up now and he looks very good. It's just, you can almost mix and match these guys and I think you're going to end up getting really good matchups across the board. 
I, I feel like we have a situation where, you know, it's almost like the, and this is a very mean thing to say, but like the Edwards, Usman, Covington, and not even necessarily Edwards, but some of that needs to kind of move move to the side. So like we can get like a, a Rachmana versus Ian Gary title fight or a Jack Della Maddalena versus Ian Gary title fight or, you know, a Rachmana versus Michael Morales title fight. Like these... Like my my mouth's watering thinking of these fights in 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 the future. Oh, there's just so much talent there. But the the problem with that as well is a lot of these guys are are still undefeated, and then they'll take one loss. Like say like a Sean Brady. I'm still massively high on Sean Brady, and people will be like, ah, oh, he's no good. He's been you know he's been showing up and all this. It's like we 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 can't say that because then these guys will never fight each other and we don't want that and someone has to lose when two people fight unless it's a draw but I, lo- I love this division so much and it's going to be you know that's a, that's a big mental problem for, for these fighters like you have to get through that let's say if Gary takes a loss or Rachmanov takes a loss to actually come back from that is big just on that, Aaron, like, I know you speak to a lot of fighters and, you know, people before and after fights, but the mental fortitude it takes to come back after a loss for these people who it's all about being the best. It's really tough to come back from that, isn't it? Well, look at Usman this past week, and I think that's a great example. You heard him talk after the fight, and it was a kind of a sad scene, to be honest. And I thought that he gave Hamzat all that he could handle. Like, if that first round wasn't a 10-8, he probably wins that fight. Like, or at least you could you could argue that he won that fight. Argue that he won round two and three. I mean, he pushed Hamzat to the brink, you know, at a time where he's coming off of the, off of the couch 11 days out. I mean, I think the future of this division really hinges on what Usman ends up doing, because I still think Usman's going to be a really tough out for any of these guys. If he stays at 170 pounds, personally, if I was Usman, I'd move to 185. I think that what you saw him do against Shemaev, he could replicate against a lot of these other guys in this division and look good against them. And I think if you look at that stat where fighters that are 35 and older at 170 pounds and down, you know, that they have a lot of trouble winning. I mean, they're one in 30 against younger opponents in championship fights. Like that doesn't apply to middleweight. And I know that you're just looking at a statistic, but I think if you're grading it from when your prime years are at welterweight, I think the prime years at the heavier weight classes are a lot later. So I think Usman at middleweight makes a lot more sense. I I do too. I like that. And I I suppose as we go to middleweight, it looked, look, Dana White promised the winner of that fight, uh, the title fight. A lot of people are saying Drikis Duplessis deserves it and he should get it. Here's my take, and my take is that Duplessis probably does deserve it more than Shemaev, but I want to see Sean Strickland versus Shemaev way more than that. Like, I'm very critical of middleweight. I think it's, it's a really bad division in terms of the quality there. And to get a guy like Shemaev, who is massively hyped against a guy like Strickland, who just beat the king of that division, who's been around for a long, long time, sans uh, Alex Pereira for a couple of months. Um, I just think that's too good for the, the UFC to turn, to turn down. And I know we talked earlier about, you know, meritocracy versus money and all of that. Look, it's not as if Shemaev didn't beat anyone. He beat Usman, who's beaten Strickland, you know, and I know he's from a division down and he wasn't ranked and everything there, but... I I want to see that fight. I think it makes the most financial sense. I think it's not necessarily that he's earned it, but he like he he's earned the big fight. I think I I want to see it. What, what what do you think? Like I know a lot of people are on the Duplessis team here. Are you Duplessis or Shamaya for the next title shot? I think it. What hangs in the balance here is what Shamaya's travel situation is, because why hasn't he fought in the states since last year? Why hasn't he been to the states since last year? 
I've asked about this and I don't, I'm not getting good answers about why Shamayev has not been in the U.S. and whether or not he's eligible to compete in the U.S. Because if he's ineligible to compete in the U.S., I mean, yeah, you could still have him headline two pay-per-views a year outside of the country and that, that's fine. But you're basically precluding him from fighting at the biggest events of the year in Vegas, in MSG. So I don't know. I, I do place he is definitely the most deserving. Like, I don't think there's even a question about it, especially if Israel is not fighting right now. I think that would be the fight that makes the most sense and is from a meritocracy standpoint. But from a box office standpoint, I mean, Shemaev versus Strickland, you've already said that Shemaev is going to get the next shot. And as long as his hand is doing okay, I, you know, I think that that fight, you, you finally give Shemaev that opportunity to prove that he has that championship medal. But I still think, you know, I did a, a podcast this week talking about 294. And the big issue that I had with 294 coming out of it is that, that there, we didn't get the answers to the questions that we were looking to find out. You know, whenever we have these pay-per-views, it's always the best of the best on the cards, especially on the main card. And we, we are so intrigued by these pay-per-views because it's going to answer all of these questions for us. When you have Shamaya facing an Usman coming off the couch with 12, you know, 12 days notice, he's coming up from welterweight, and he gives Shamaya a run, I, still, I feel like we still have all of these unanswered questions about Shamaya. Now, could those be answered in a fight against Strickland? Absolutely. But at the same time, like, can you get Shemaev's ranked ninth today? The, the new rankings came out. Like, is that the guy they're going to give the title fight to? I get it, but at the same time, I don't really agree with it. Yeah, and like that is fair. But I, I made a I made a New Year's resolution there, maybe in twenty twenty or something like that. I was like, as long as the UFC gives me fights that I like, I'm not going to complain too much. So I'm not going to complain too much. Uh, just the last thing I suppose on Middleweight, I think. Middleweight right now might have the best undefeated prospects of any division. Ali Askarov, who we or Ali Askarov, whose name I always fuck up, Joe Pfeiffer, Kyle Bahalio, and Bo Nickel as well, uh, and now Shemayev obviously too. God, that division is so so strong in terms of that, and they need those guys to get in there right now because you know I feel like all of those guys could beat Paulo Costa. Right, our beat and, him and in don't Joe Piper. Joe Piper is another yeah. guy that I think is, is going to be a top ten, top five guy. I had him on my list actually. Did I not say him? Yeah, he's there. He's definitely. Oh, maybe one of those he did. I'm sorry. Yeah. Maybe I, maybe I, it went out in, in one ear and out the other. Maybe the accent I couldn't I couldn't keep up with. Him. <laughs> maybe maybe. But yeah, there's some really good guys there, and uh, you know I, I like Fluffy Hernandez as well. I think you know he's a guy. Maybe he's not undefeated, but like I, I really like him as well, and maybe he's a guy you can climb up there. But you know, and Michelle Pajera is now in the division. I mean, all these yeah, guys are true. entering their prime right now. Yeah, yeah. Middleweight might be a division I mightn't hate as much as I as I have. Uh, hopefully, anyway, I would. I'd love to love middleweight. Uh, let's talk about light light heavyweight. Uh, Prashka is fighting against Pehea for the title. Has has Jamal Hill been stripped? Because like it feels like he said he was leaving the title down. He's still here as the champion. Is this an, is this an interim belt or is it the full belt or what's the story? No, it's the full belt. And I think as soon as like the, it's one of those situations where like as soon as the bell rings, um, we're gonna have a new champion. So he's yeah. like he's, he still is technically the champion, but um, it's one of those ones where he's going to be stripped of the title once that fight gets started, sort of thing. I what do you think about the? And I was talking about this the other day about the whole. Pereira Adesanya situation, and some people, you know, are talking about even a few other divisions where we all we line things up and these guys can fight next, and like the the best played the best laid plans of mice and men never work out too well, do they? Like the strike while the iron's hot sort of thing, even with the the Shamaya thing we were just talking about, but like Adesanya and Pereira, everyone was like, right, we we will let Pereira go up. 
we will have him win the title. Izzy will obviously still be champion. And then we'll do, you know, the trilogy fight there. And it didn't work out. And now we've Pereira got up against uh, Prohachka. I suppose, I, I don't know what my point is here, but the question is, who do you think it'd be better for the UFC and for the division uh, winning this fight? Like Pereira or Prohachka? Or is it the same? Like, if it feels to me like... Pehe is one of these guys who's like the silent assassin who is just a scary guy, but Prohachka maybe has more star power. Or I don't know if that's fair or not. What, what do you think? It kind of feels like it would be the same. I would lean Prohachka just because he's younger. Like I think he'll have more more relevant championship years as as the champion. But I think that either way, like Jamal Hill versus either of those guys, sign me up. I think it's going to be a great fight. So um, I think that regardless of the result the division's in a pretty good place. Now, the, the reason why the division isn't in the greatest place overall is because there's no prospects in this division. Like, there's not a single prospect you can look at and be like, yeah, that guy is going to be a problem for everybody. It's not, not, not really there right now. I mean, that's why the idea of Shamaya potentially becoming a two-division champion uh, is, you know, something that, that could happen in the coming years if he moves up to, to 205 at some point in time, which I think he, he realistically could. But there's just not a whole lot of great prospects. And it's a kind of always been like that at light heavyweight. I think it gets, it takes fighters aside from like John Jones, who is of course the anomaly of all anomalies. It takes them until they're about 29, 30 to start entering the, the championship mix. But right now there's just not that many fighters that are under 30 right now where you can point them and say, yeah, that guy, that's a guy that we need to keep our eye on. Yeah. And like, I think Bahalio and, um, uh, and Jonathan Almeida were both guys who could fight at 205, but obviously one moved down and one move up as well. So you're kind of losing right. two prospects. I'm looking the only kind of undefeated prospect coming through here. Well, we we, ha- we have uh, Asma uh, Marzakanov and Vitor Petrino, but like Prohaska is 3-0. And other than that, there's just really no one. This division is very, very shallow as well in terms of like the totality of numbers. And when a fight happens, like the, the one we had at the weekend, obviously with Johnny Walker and Ankalaev, where Ankalaev had drawn in the fight before that against Blahovich, it that does not help the division in terms of moving because they're probably going to do that rematch. And that just, it's not that it holds up the division, but it doesn't let it move forward for the next six months, maybe. So, yeah, it's, I, lo- I love that title fight, to be honest. I love Prashka against Pereira. I think it's an absolute banger of a fight. But, you know, Rakic, obviously, as well, has been out injured for a long time. Hopefully, he'll be back soon. It, it felt like Ankalaev at number two. If he had beaten Johnny Walker, maybe he would have been the next guy in line. But there's really nobody who's the next guy in line now in a division that's, you know, very, very shallow. And I know um, Merzikhanov, who I mentioned there, is fighting Khalil Roundtree on the way up. Khalil's ranked number 11 at the moment. Maybe he's a guy who can... Uh, yeah, and uh, Merzikhanov is ranked number 12 as well. Maybe one of them can can move forward. But there isn't a, there isn't a whole pile, uh, pile there at the moment. Actually, uh, Petrino is fighting Modestus Bukowskis as well. That's a pretty good fight. So there are... Are some good up and coming um, prospect fights, I suppose, in this division. Um, let's talk about heavyweight, the final division. I uh, at the start of the year, I picked out heavyweight as like my division to watch, and it's going to be the most exciting division. And maybe, maybe it hasn't exactly been that, but it does feel like it is. Um, I suppose revving up to be that. Obviously, we had Jones versus Gan, uh, which was you know, a destruction in one way, but in the other way, kind of a little bit disappointing because we didn't get to see enough of John Jones. Obviously, he's fighting Stipe Miocic coming up here. What's your take just maybe on that fight? I know this isn't kind of an, an analysis show, but I 
it feels like a lot of people think that Jones is just going to go in there and walk through Stipe. And maybe that's true, maybe it's not true. But I would love just to see more of John Jones as a heavyweight because I'm not convinced either way whether he's like a great heavyweight or whether he's not a great heavyweight because like he came into that last fight with a lot of size. You never know John Jones in terms of his preparation. Obviously, he's had a very ha- tough time recently with his family and you know, his brother and everything like that as well. And we know John Jones with preparation, it's always been a big key for him although he's always managed to get through it and remain undefeated apart from Matt Hamill um, the, t- the take on that fight Aaron in terms of how the fight will go but in the take on, on John Jones as well who is you know probably the most interesting character we've ever had in mixed martial arts maybe apart from Conor McGregor it's, it's a massive fight but it's also kind of there's a lot of unknowns coming into this one yeah absolutely uh, I think that it's going to be a tough fight for Jones but I think Jones is still going to end up winning this fight and if he does, I think we're going to see a brand new heavyweight division starting in 2024 because I imagine Jones will retire. I imagine Stipe will retire. I mean, what's Jones need to accomplish now? If he beats the greatest heavyweight in UFC history, he's the top pound-for-pound guy in the sport. He's not going to end up having to fight any of these young hammers that are coming up right now. I think we're going to see Jones and Stipe leave the division. Uh, they'll retire, and then you get kind of that new class in there. You got Cyril Gaon, you got Pavlovich, you got Aspinall, you got Curtis Blades, you got Al- Jailton Almeida. We're going to see a lot of... Uh, kind of newer talent come up in this heavyweight division. It'll be the first time in a while that it's really been like that at heavyweight. So um, really kind of since Francis and, and Curtis Blades and that kind of class started to move up. So uh, I think it's going to be a really interesting fight, but, you know, I and I'm really looking forward to that fight. But outside of the result of that fight, I don't know how much of an impact it actually has on the heavyweight division going forward. Do you do you think Jones will stick around? Like, you know, we all I don't. Know, you don't, I don't really. think he around. I just don't see what the, the purpose would be. Like, is he just going to wait around until he finds somebody who can beat him? I mean, the purpose obviously is making big money and, and winning more fights. And I just don't know how much more his resume can improve by sticking around. Like, are people going to ever say, well, well, Jones isn't the best because he left when, uh, you know, Sergey Pavlovich was coming up. It's, it's just not something that I think anybody's going to take into consideration long term. Yeah, that is true. Although, like, Habib kind of did that and people do say, well, it was different with Habib. Like, Jones has been off for a long time with the, the drug issues and everything like that. And he's been around for a long time. I, you, you are right. But that money is a big thing. Like, there's only a certain amount of money you can make in your career. And this is probably the best time in his career to make money. So, I, I don't know. I think it's hard to walk away from that when you are the best. Let, let's say he goes two or three rounds with Stipe and takes them apart or goes five rounds and looks great. It'd almost be a shame to walk away at that stage you know but we will see like also I think he could do a bit of the fly Mayweather's and maybe maybe pick off a couple of lads on their way up that aren't really there yet even like say like an Aspinall maybe I, I think I think Pavlovich is, is a bit of a a bit of a tougher one but someone like an Aspinall even maybe a Jelton Almeida who I think is is just fantastic obviously he's fighting Derek Lewis next week but I, I honestly I'd be surprised if John Jones didn't fight again after the Sepa fight but John Jones is an odd character and, and you never uh, you never know with him um I suppose just to close it out on, on the heavyweight division there are a lot of good guys on the way up but you just never know at heavyweight who's going to be the good guy and who's not going to be the good guy like and and also the the top guys become the top guys very quickly like like Aspinall like uh uh like Pavlovich like uh, Jelton Almeida who okay here's the question who is the guy out of all of those let's say John Jones uh retires leaves the belt there they do um they do a couple of title fights over the next while and someone holds the belt for two or three fights and defends it who do you think is that guy who's going to be the, the guy who defends the belt a few times 
I think it's probably Aspinall. I just think that he has the most well-rounded game. I mean, if, if he's having trouble with you on the feet, he can take you down and he can submit you. Uh, I just think that, you know, he's so big, he's physical. He has all of the different things that I think can make him tough. Now, I mean, Pavlovich has that nuclear weapon in his arm. I mean, the guy's got incredible power. That's always going to be the great equalizer at heavyweight. But I, I think that Aspinall would give him some problems in terms of just how well-rounded he is. So that's the guy that I, I would say probably has the, the most upside of these, this new class of heavyweights coming up. I'm gonna go with Jelton Almeida. I just love him. I think he's. I think he's absolutely brilliant. Um, although I, I have a, I have a show coming up this week that we do the contender Jelton Almeida, and I think I said the opposite. But I, I'll be right one way anyway. <laughs> so it's a it's a win win for me. But that fight against Derek Lewis, you know, he was who's he? Fought? He was supposed to fight Blades, wasn't he? I think that yeah, would be that would have been a way better way fight. Better that would have just been a fight that we're, where we would have learned so much more. Yeah, it's unfortunate. But look, he he gets to fight a big heavy heavyweight, I suppose, for a guy who's a, a a tweener maybe um uh, and that's that's uh, good he's also another guy who i think a, a light heavyweight we talked about it being so shallow if he did decide to go back down uh, i think he he could really uh you know make waves at the top of that division so that's very very interesting with him um, uh, junior if junior toffel learns how to wrestle he's going to be a guy in this division do you think so I mean, he, his striking is so good like it's so good I, I yeah I don't know he's he's I think a top three striker in this division like if you were to if you were to if this was kickboxing he would be the champion like he's the best I think he's the best striker in the heavyweight division he's just he's very very raw still and his if he, if he can work on his takedown defense like I, I think he's a guy at age twenty seven that in like five years can be competing for a championship four or five years interesting okay lad, I w- we'll keep that in mind I always see lads like that coming through and I kind of I do write him off maybe too quickly so you know that's that's fair and we'll, we'll keep an eye on him uh, as uh, as we go over the next one all right Aaron, that's it we got we got through it relatively quickly there although it, it, that uh, uh it's the longest podcast I do every few months and uh, but it's it's an enjoyable one I think it I think it's good to go through and just kind of name out a few fighters and 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 put things in line and and see what's next because sometimes there's just so much MMA and week to week show to show that we can't actually sit back and and smell the roses almost a little bit but it's uh, it was great to have you on and it was great to do it today um and thank you very much for joining me tell the people where they can find all your stuff obviously over on TSN, over on, on Twitter as well. Let the people know where they can find you. Well, yeah. Well, first off, I want to thank you because this show in particular, like I listen to your podcast almost every week. I'd say almost, and I'd say that for basically every podcast I listen almost every week. But this one is the one I can't miss. Like I love when you and whoever you have on, you know, often it's my uh, my, my fellow countryman, Spencer Kite. Whenever you guys do the, the state of the UFC, I love that idea. And I'm glad that you, you thought of me for this. So thank you for that. And all of my work you can find at www.aaron.report. That links to all of my social platforms and uh, everything else. So uh, appreciate you having me on, Sean. It's, uh, it was a real pleasure. Beautiful. Thank you very much, Aaron. And obviously, with the big uh, Toronto card coming up, everyone will be uh, following your work for that. The first place to go for all of those great stuff. Thank you to everybody for tuning in. Head over to calderalab.com. Use the promo code SEVERMAY for 20% off. Go to SEVERMAY.com for everything you need. Follow at SEVERMAY, at Sean Sheehan, BA, at what is it, at Aaron Bronsetter? Is that it? That what it at is? Aaron Bronsetter. There you go. Over on, on, on Twitter as well. And sign up for our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash SEVERMAY podcast for a five a month plus that you get a whole load of extra content plus this podcast on early access as well all right everyone we will leave it there thank you very much for tuning in and we'll see you all next week